Welcome back, prospects to pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler, along with my co-host Lance Zerline. Plenty to discuss on today's pod. The Big Ten is back, what that means for the conference's prospects. The 2020 NFL Draft was one of the most impressive offensive tackle classes we've seen in recent memory. So, so far, are they living up to expectations uh, and then I also want to hit on DK Metcalf a little bit, uh, you know, a second year player who fell a little bit further than we most, most of us thought in, the, in that draft, the 2019 class, but such a physical marvel. And he's thriving right now uh, as a second year player and growing into a, a star in Seattle. So I want to touch on that as well. Both uh, Lance and I are, are, are draft thoughts and then some philosophical thoughts as well. But first, let's just kind of wrapped the college football weekend. There were uh, not, a, not a lot of exciting matchups, but a few key takeaways that I think are worth talking about. First, I wanted to have a conversation about Miami quarterback, Derek King. Uh, the Houston transfer, he's really sparked the Hurricanes offense. Like, we haven't really seen from that team in a while. Uh, a really dynamic talent uh, is off to a very productive start. But is he a legitimate NFL prospect at quarterback? And that's the question that I think we're going to be talking about between now and the draft, NFL scouts measured him at five eight and a half. That's verified. But more than just his size, uh, consistency as a passer, I think that's a big question mark. So, Lance, uh, you're a Houston native. Uh, you know, you saw him in your backyard the last few years. What are your thoughts on a talented quarterback? I love him as a college quarterback. I love his ability to make plays. Um, I thought it was a great. I thought it was a coup for Rhett Lashley's offense to get him, and we saw. You know, it, it's paying dividends right now. We saw that against the um, the Louisville Cardinal defense. You know, I, I think the problem is Kyler Murray is a huge outlier when it comes to size. At five foot ten, that is just a, a and, and trust me, a lot of people didn't think it was going to be five ten, but when he popped in at at five ten, I think that was a little bit of a surprise. But that's just that's just highly unique to have that kind of size. And at five eight and a half verified. Um, it, he is not, it's going to be an automatic reject from an NFL standpoint. This is not a quarterback. Now, let me get past that for a second. Once you get past the automatic reject for five, eight and a half, then you have to go back, you circle back and you say, okay, he's a reject for that standpoint. Now let's reimagine. And can he play in a certain type of offense? Can he be a backup for our offense? Can he be a starter for our offense? What would we have to do offensively to make changes to accommodate him, which would obviously be getting him outside of the pocket with that kind of height restriction? Um, this is just very, very challenging unless you're outside of the pocket making plays. So, Dana, I think right off the bat, the height is a big, big detriment. The second thing is he's not been a consistently accurate quarterback. I think his arm strength is okay i think it's okay mm -hmm. um Agreed. from from a, a reading a defense standpoint i think he actually showed some some pretty good signs against louisville and i actually thought he threw the ball fairly well for the first half and then he kind of he had a couple throws that i thought were were just flat out misses but um from a throwing standpoint i do think he can help himself this year i think it's a big year for dear king to show that he can throw the football consistently with accuracy with velocity and then to show that he can get through the progressions he needs to and make those throws i think the big thing that's hindering him right now dane is that 
when you're a small quarterback like Kyler Murray, because that's one of the only, you know, Kyler or Russell Wilson, but Russell's built, you know, like a tank. And really, Kyler Murray's pretty well built, too. I think the big thing is he's going to have to show that he is electric as a runner. He has to be a true dual threat quarterback. It's not going to be enough. I don't think he is an elite passer. I don't, I shouldn't say elite. I don't think he's a plus passer. So he's really got to be a plus, maybe a plus plus runner. And he hasn't showed that yet. I don't think he's that electric get out of the pocket and do damage. Can he run? Absolutely. Is he, is he um, elusive in the open field? Absolutely. But I don't know that he's shown that plus plus running ability where you can reimagine an offensive concept around him. So I, I think that's a big problem for me is you're more than likely looking as, as a, looking at a backup role for him. And then that becomes a new conversation because Greg Ward, former Houston quarterback, rolled into a wide receiver position for, for Philadelphia. We have Taysom Hill. We know that he is a, you know, he's a hybrid player. And by the way, Derek King, for those who don't know, he played wide receiver at U of H too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a great point. And I think the other factor with him is talking to people at Houston, they rave about the, the kid's makeup, uh, just the competitiveness that he, that he brings. He, he's the hardest worker in the program. I mean, these are the things that they say about him. Uh, and that goes a long way with evaluators and coaches. So if you have the character and the intangibles, that, that's something that you want to bring into your program uh, in the NFL. Just what's his role? And uh, I do think he's an exciting athlete when he gets the ball in space. There's no question. Uh, are you going to have to manufacture touches for him? Can he be a player that can make that full transition? But if you do keep him at quarterback, I think you're right. This is such a big season for him because based off of last year uh, at Houston, he's not getting drafted as a quarterback. He's just not. Uh, the tape right. did not show a draftable quarterback. If he's able to make some strides this year, which based on the first two games, I think they're promising results. He's kind of inching in that direction, but still, you need to see better pocket presence than what he's shown so far. You need to see better accuracy. He's just been too erratic. Uh, but I, I think that he has been promising based off of the first two games. So it's going to be a full season evaluation for him. And then hopefully... Well, we get a chance to see him at uh, maybe the Senior Bowl or one of the All-Star games. It's just which position is he going to play? That That's going to be an interesting part uh, of the overall evaluation. So I think that Miami, uh, and you, know, you mentioned the play calling, how big that's been. Really, it's been designed to get the ball out uh, of his hands quickly, uh, whether it's quick throws or quick reads. I mean, I think they're really allowing him to not have to think so much and just be an athlete and be a playmaker. And so far that's, that's absolutely worked. Now uh, when they face a better defense, then because that Louisville defense was just awful uh, on Saturday night. And to Miami's credit, they exposed it, but in, from a valuation standpoint, it's really hard to get a grasp on if he's making the necessary improvements when uh, he has yet to face a defense that you can really get excited about. You know, if he were five foot eleven, I do think this is maybe a little different conversation. But he's once again, it doesn't change the fact that he's a small quarterback. So small mm. quarterbacks have to be able to really spin it, and he doesn't. He does not have the arm talent of Kyler Murray. He just he doesn't. He doesn't have the arm talent of Baker Mayfield. I think it's okay. And from a running standpoint, once again, I don't think he's an electric runner. I think he is a good college runner, but I don't find him to be electric. So. I just right now off the top of my head and based on the film that I've watched so far, I, I just think it's 
I think it's going to be a pretty swift no for NFL teams on De'Ara King as quarterback. But I do believe that Rhett Lashley's def- offense, and I think what Miami's doing with him, is going to give him a chance. I think it is going to keep the quarterback hopes alive. And I think it could be interesting when it comes time to go to the Senior Bowl and he's able to take reps at maybe two different positions. I, I don't think that's a bad thing for him to at least have that in the mix. And, you know, once again, you may look at him as you may run a certain type of offense where you feel like he could be that guy, or you could consider him an emergency third quarterback if he's good enough to make a team as a wide receiver. So I think we're not done writing the script for D.R. King for this year and for his draft prospects. I just think from a physical standpoint, there are limitations that are going to be be extremely hard for him to get over. Uh, I agree. And, you know, it'll be an interesting next uh, six to seven months to see if he can kind of change the narrative on that. Uh, and, and the other thing too is he both of his knees need to be cleared medically. Uh, he had a meniscus injury on his left knee, a, a weight training accident. He had surgery on his right knee. So uh, the, just the durability, the medical report will have to come back uh, clean mm-hmm. as well. And he's got some weapons uh, with that Miami offense. Brevin Jordan, you know, he looks like a, a top 100 pick at the tight end position. He's that hybrid uh, you know, wide receiver tight end who moves really well slot. You can line him up outside, uh, gives good effort as a blocker as well. So he's definitely a player we'll be talking about throughout the process. So Miami's got some players there on that offense and a little bit of help for King. Um, uh, Miami is going to be an interesting team to watch. No question. Uh, in that ACC, uh, race this year. Yeah. They look much better, By by the way, there's some talent in Miami right now. Like there's oh, yeah. there's guys for us to watch this year. There's going to there's going to be guys for us to watch. There always are. I shouldn't say that because you know, we we had people we had players to watch plenty of them from Miami last year, but I just I like what they're doing in Miami right now. I at least based on that game. And you know, Gregory Rousseau opting out, you know, that was looked at as you know, obviously a, a disappointment for, you know, watching Miami this year, but They've got two defensive ends with Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, who uh, are legitimate, will be drafted guys. Uh, and I'm a, I'm more of a Jalen Phillips guy myself, who uh, was a big time recruit, and he's you know finally healthy and kind of blossoming at the right time. Roche is more of that mid round, uh, undersized pass rusher, but both these guys are going to get a shot at the next level. So no, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. Both sides of the ball uh, for the Hurricanes. Uh, it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a, a marquee matchup weekend for college football. Uh, that'll change. We got SEC coming up uh, next weekend. But two other players I want to hit on real quick. Elijah Mitchell, the running back for Lafayette, uh, was a big part of their uh, comeback win against uh, Georgia, Georgia State. He, 16 for 164, two touchdowns. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a player for uh, Lafayette who... You know, he's going to be in that mix to be one of the top five to seven senior running backs in this draft. Uh, you see the immediate mm-hmm. acceleration with him. Uh, he's a fun player. I don't know if you've seen any of him yet. Uh, you know, they've I got that Louisiana offense, they've, they've got some runners. Well, I mean, so last year when I was watching, they had three running backs I was looking at. Yeah. And he was he was uh, one of them because they they ran a rotation of of three different guys last year, and they had they were I love the right side of their line with Dotson and Hunt. And yeah. they were in our discussions for the Joe Moore Awards because I thought they really got after people and really controlled uh, the ball on the ground. And, you know, Mitchell has good size. He has good size. He has he's pretty good vision. Um, I'm a fan of what they're doing out there. They have done a really nice job of developing talent, and especially at running back. I do think that um, Calais 
we saw him last year. They got a couple running backs this year. Ragnar, who's that the other one? Um, uh, the other running Ragus. back they have? Yeah. Yeah, Ragus. And so they have a couple running backs right now who we're going to have to study. So, um, yeah, I, I, Mitchell, first thing I look at is I want to see your production. If you are on a, on a what would be considered a lower level, which I don't know that that's fair, but for, for what it, for what it's worth that, you know, it, it gets that label. Um, I think they're playing good football and you want to see the production. But the second thing you want to see is traits. Can this guy, does he have traits? Um, what traits? Does he have size traits? Does he have um, uh, kind of the, the wiggle or the foot quickness traits? Traits can mean different things. Everyone thinks it only means size and speed, but it's traits is relative to your position whatever position group you're looking at. So when I look at running backs, you don't have to be the biggest guy. As long as I can slot you in, like with Calais last year, I want to be able to slot you into a role. If you are a change of pace back or a slasher or a zone scheme runner who, who might be able to get backup carries or a third down back or a banger, as long as I can find a role for you, I want to have, find traits for that role. And I think Mitchell does have that. I think Mitchell qualifies in that regard. 100%. And the other thing with Mitchell is the receiving skills. Uh, the way he catches the ball away from his body, uh, he looks like a receiver out there. So I think that's going to uh, be a, a big selling point uh, with teams. Uh, just the, the running back specific traits, uh, his ability as a pass catcher. Uh, Mitchell will be a player that I expect to see in Mobile and a player I expect to see drafted. Uh, and then the other player I wanted to talk about, uh, who I who thought really stood out, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, uh, four for 94, wow. kind of making his return from the ACL injury. He's been uh, battling a groin that kind of bothered him throughout fall practice. And that Oklahoma State offense really struggled. Spencer Sanders, a quarterback, got hurt. Uh, the backup really struggled. Then they brought in this true freshman, and all of a sudden, Tylen Wallace, uh, it's kind of like they remembered they had him on the outside. This guy, the, the play strength that he that he plays with, his ability to stay focused and power through contact, win those contested catches, uh, it's it just really, really impressive. Uh, the, his toughness, it, it not only does it will it draw pass interference penalties, but he's still able to make these uh, ridiculous catches. Uh, Tylen Wallace is going to, and he also looks like a running back after the catch. So this guy is a lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to study. Uh, and he kind of reminded us of that, even though he's clearly not 100%, reminded us of that on Saturday. So Tyler Wallace, uh, and with, uh, you know, he's, you know, right up there with, uh, you know, in the discussion at the top senior wide receiver this year, at least in my mind. I think it was smart to come back because of the, the depth of last year's wide receiver draft. And he comes back and they started just throwing the ball up and saying, go make a play. Just like you said, in the second yeah. half, it was, it was a bad game for, for Oklahoma State in general, in terms of what was expected, they just started throwing it up and the, the catches he made, the contested catches and the hand strength to finish some of the catches were really impressive. I, I like when I look at the phase three, the third phase, which is, um, we talked about that. The fourth phase is run after catch. The third phase is the catch phase. Well, what goes in the catch phase is going to be is going to be, you know, how you track it into your hands. Can you high point? Can you own the catch space? Can you get late separation? These are all things Wallace does. And really to be effective on the next level, you can't be soft at the catch space. There are cornerbacks who are going to really try to bully you and, and create a 60-40 in their favor. And Wallace does such a great job of, of, of being an early adapter to the catch space and carving out his body positioning and spot. And then he has such strong hands 
and and such great timing with his with his um, ball skills is he will go make those plays. He will win in the third phase. And so with Tylen Wallace, they just realized they had a playmaker, threw it up there, and he made plays. And then you see that competitive fire in the middle of the game. I mean, he is just so pumped up, and you you watch him compete. I I got a text from somebody. He's not with the team, but he he works in football. And he made a comp, and I want to see what you think of this comp. This is a very strong comp to throw this name out there. He said Steve Smith as a comp for um, Tylen Wallace. I don't like throwing Steve Smith out there willy-nilly because I have such respect for who he was and what he was. But I thought that was – I thought that was very interesting to throw that out there because it hits on the things that you talked about, which is play strength, physicality through contact, and a willingness to impose his will when it comes time to finish. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously, you uh, when you compare him to, I, at least in my mind, a future Hall of Famer, you know, that, that you know, your ears perk up because that, that says quite a bit and says, uh, you know, but that's the kind of traits that you see from him. And I think you you kind of hit on it with that third phase. How much goes into it? Because it's not just being a you know being a finisher is exactly what you want, but more goes into that. First, you have to locate. Second, you have to make the proper adjustments with your body and, and get that body position to uh, be in position to make the catch. And then you have to have the play strength, the focus to power through having a guy on your back and having that crowded uh, catch point and still finish. So yes, that third phase is all about finishing, but there's so much that goes into that kind of to your point. And Tylen Wallace is, I think, above average in each one of those uh, you know little fine details of that third phase. And that's why I, you know, I think he projects well to that next level. So coming back from the injury, uh, you know, you just hope he's able to stay healthy. Hopefully... Oklahoma State gets consistency from the quarterback position because you do see some of those Steve Smith uh, flashes with uh, the catch point skills, that that play strength, and it, even after the catch, I mean, because he can win at all, all all levels of the field. You can throw him a screen and he will stiff arm you and take it uh, the distance down the sideline, or he can you know, be a deep threat and track the ball, track the ball vertically, come down with it. And, and so I think he just brings so much. Uh, to your offense, uh, just a really dynamic weapon. So, yeah, when you put him in the conversation, uh, top senior wide receivers, Devontae Smith uh, from Alabama. I mean, Tyler Wallace is right. He's close uh, in terms of the top senior wide receivers. Nico Collins, who uh, maybe opted out. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't know if he's going to, we're going to see him this year. Uh, so there's, and, you know, plenty of underclassmen in this wide receiver class as well. So, but Wallace is right there in that mix as being a really exciting player. And let me, I want to bring up, you know, when it comes to the catch strength, this is one of my issues with Rashad Bateman is I didn't think he was physical mm. enough in, in the third phase. And that's my concern. I get all the things that people like, but I want to see a more aggressive. I didn't like what I saw when he faced off against Lamar Jackson, because that's the kind of bully stuff that he's going to see. I want to see more physicality in terms of he just kind of faded away instead of going and taking over the catch. But the best in the game is DeAndre Hopkins. That's the best in pro football. And it's not going to look like that for many guys. But Isaiah Hodgins, let me throw a guy from last year out there. One of the reasons I really liked Isaiah Hodgins is his ability to go make those kinds of plays at Oregon State, despite the fact that he's not a fast wide receiver. But there's something about the third phase and and creating that catch space and competing for it. A.J. Brown was, was just elite coming out of college in that in that regard. 
All right, Lance, I also wanted to talk uh, about the Big Ten because we're going to get some Big Ten football here pretty soon. Uh, October 24th will be the start date. For that conference, uh, they released a schedule, um, some fun matchups, you know, Ohio State at Penn State on Halloween. And, you know, it's it's really going to be, uh, can Ohio State run the table? And, you know, what is, if they do, 9-0 compared to some of these other conferences who might also have undefeated teams, uh, how that's going to work with the playoff. And, you know, that that's a discussion for another day. But what I wanted to ask you, give me a prospect from the Big Ten that you think this news uh, you know, this just really helps. Uh, you know, I, I think Justin Fields, I think to me, is the obvious name that comes to mind, uh, getting that extra uh, film out there for evaluators. Mm-hmm. But besides Fields, give me another player from the Big Ten. Do you think this news really helps? Well, I, I actually think that Wyatt Davis opting yeah. in, I think he's a good player, but remember, he's a guard. And so there is, you know, you, you, you never know the way NFL teams will view guards in terms of their priority. It can kind of sh- shift from from draft to draft. I think the Big Ten playing again and op- and and Wyatt Davis from Ohio State opting back in and with a chance to show he can be a dominant player, um, I really think it helps him. I think it helps Trey Sermon. <laughs> I think it's mm. a big help for Trey Sermon because when he left – when he left Oklahoma, he left, I think, on in there, I think there was some bad blood. He clearly got in Lincoln Riley's doghouse. But I'll be honest, when I turned on the film with him and watched this summer, I really liked Trey Sermon. I thought Trey Sermon yeah. had some ability as an NFL runner. So he was gonna go from in the doghouse in nineteen, where his his carries kind of shrunk and went away. To Ohio State, and then he was going to see the season. You know, it was going to be a non-Big Ten season. I think it helps those two, those two guys. Number one, Wyatt Davis with a chance to really cement himself in the first round, and then Trey Sermon with a chance to kind of revitalize his stock as as a runner with good size and good athletic ability. Yeah, hundred percent agree on, on both those players, and yeah, I agree on Sermon who. I mean, I probably evaluated, I don't know, 50 running backs this summer. And Sermon, to me, he might have been the best uh, screen receiver that I saw. He, he's a lot of fun when you can get him out in space a little bit mm-hmm. and he can set up his moves. And, uh, you know, he runs a little too tall at the line of scrimmage. But when you get him in space, he, he's got some some ability, no question. So, uh, yeah, you, you know, being a grad transfer from Oklahoma, uh, you know, that had been tough for him seeing his old team play and, wasn't sure if he was going to be able to play his senior year, but now he's going to be able to go out there and make an impact for Ohio State. Um, and then the other Ohio State opt-in uh, being Sean Wade. Uh, you know, we talked about him last week, how his his uh, draft grade was just going to be in limbo uh, for, uh, you know, really until the pre-draft process because of the so few reps outside. Well, now that he's opting back in, uh, you know, he's going to have a chance to to show that. And things are going to get interesting here. With a few of these opt-ins because, uh, you know, Rashad Bateman, he signed with an agent. Um, Now he says that he plans to come back. Um, So how is that going to work out? Uh, Could Micah Parsons have a a change of heart and decide to come back? I I would be surprised, but, you know, who knows? Uh, Nico Collins, Ambry Thomas, both from Michigan, uh, opted out. Uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Uh, You know, these guys are going to have decisions to make here. And even though they signed with an agent... The precedent is there because last last year, Michael Turk, a punter from Arizona State, I wrote about this on The Athletic last week, he declared for the 2020 draft. He went to the combine. He turned some heads. He had 25 reps on the bench and goes undrafted and uh, doesn't get signed. And him and Arizona State, they put together a, 
a waiver uh, to the NCAA, and it was approved for him to regain his eligibility, even though he signed an agent, even though he went through the draft process. But because of COVID uh, and how it negatively affected his process, uh, no pro day, not being able to have uh, some of those personal workouts, he was able to go back to school and get his two years of eligibility back. So I think that the precedent is there. I, I do believe anybody that has signed with an agent uh, over the last two months would be able to, uh, they, might, they might have to repay some of the, 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 the money that was exchanged hands you know, for training and per diem and things like that. But if a player wants to come back to school, I think the NCAA will allow them. And so a few of these guys are going to have to make some pretty important decisions. Uh, Wyatt Davis, I, I told he was he found representation and started working out, but hadn't officially signed. So I think that's going to be a little cleaner. Uh, Sean Wade as well. But it might be a little tougher for Rashad Bateman and a few of these other guys uh, if they decide to come back. And the other player I did want to mention too, Jason Oway from Penn State who just a physical marvel as a pass rusher uh, just hasn't doesn't have the body of work yet and now is going to get a chance to uh, get back on the field and we'll have a tough decision after the after this season if he plays up to the ability that I, I think we're, we both think he's capable of. Yeah, this is probably – this point was made to me. I think it's a pretty good point. This is probably not the year for the NCAA to sit on their high horse and yeah. dictate, well, you took money. I'm sorry, you can't come back. They've got to give these players, you would think, an opportunity to come back. They opted out because of a decision that was out of their hands in the first place, the opt-out, that frankly happened way too soon in my opinion. I didn't think the Big Ten needed to make a decision that quickly. So I would hope the NCAA, who is already giving everybody clearance to even if you play, this is like a free year and you can come back and play again next year, um, I would – I would hope that they would do what's right and give these players. I understand if you have to pay back the money for, you know, amateurism and things like that, we'll, we'll keep that thing alive. <laughs> but um, I, I would think the NCAA will, will give that a waiver. Now, I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't see the NCAA getting into business. I've heard people say before, well, if a player doesn't get drafted, he should be able to come back for what? No, he shouldn't. If a player makes a decision to come out, it has an impact on the head coach and who he's going to, how many scholarships he has, who he's going to recruit. To me, typically, if you make that decision and you go through the entire process and you don't get drafted, that's just, that's, that's too bad. And I think that's going to continue to be the case. The Turk situation was a very interesting one. And it was also interesting that no one else tried to make that same case and come back after Arizona State made that case. Yeah, and yeah. nothing's been normal about this year. So, right. you know, I, I, I think you're right. I, the NCAA, I, I don't think this is going to be something that they're going to push back on. Um, I, I think it's something that they'll be they'll be fine. Uh, you know, it, it, there might be some red tape. There might be some paperwork. But at the end of the day, I think players, if they did sign with an agent, they'll have to, uh, there'll be some hurdles. But I think at the end of the day, they'll be able to return if they want. And that's a big if, you know, there's, uh, you know, Michael Parsons, honestly, I'd be surprised if he came back. I think he made his decision early on. I think he was ready to move on. Uh, but but who knows? Uh, you know, James Franklin said on uh, on Saturday that they've had some discussions and that uh, not, no decision had been made yet. So uh, we'll have to see. I think Rondale Moore, he's in that mix as well. And hopefully, you know, selfishly, I'd love to see them back uh, at the college level this year. Just, just fun to watch them, more evaluation tape. But um, I'd be surprised about uh, those two players. So I was switching gears to the NFL now. Uh, two topics I want to hit on here. First, 
with NFL, I want, I want to talk about DK Metcalf, but first I want to talk about these NFL uh, rookies at offensive tackle. 2020 was such a remarkable group uh, at the position. You know, they had five drafted top 20. All five were thrown into the mix immediately uh, as starters. And so we've got two games for each of them now uh, on tape. To you, Lance, who has lived up to the hype so far? Uh, who has lived up to those expectations? I think Makai Becton stands out for me. I think Becton has done a really nice job watching him. Um, it's just a matter of playing with more control. His power is obvious. His size and athletic ability in that frame is really, really impressive. I just think he has to play with control, kind of a controlled violence, because he really does like to make a statement. And he's, and I think he's splashed. Um, I think another guy who actually has played pretty well has been Tristan Wirfs. I think Wirfs doesn't have the toughest job because he's protecting Tom Brady, who typically gets the ball out. But Tom's hung on to the ball a little bit longer. Um, at least he did in the first game. And so I think worse, the challenge for worse, he had a major issue with oversetting and letting people come up under and inside of him. And I'm talking about in the run game, he'd overstep in the passing game. Um, he would overset. It was, he just gave up a ton of inside stuff. And I, that looks like some of that has been corrected. So good job by Tampa and by um, Tristan Wirfs for getting some of that worked out up to this point. I think he's going to be a solid run blocker when you ask him to move. I think Beckton's going to be a plus run blocker. Uh, Jedrick Wills has been pretty good up to this point, and, and you really have to give him additional credit because he's moved from right tackle to left. His sets don't look as smooth, and it does. And that's something I talked to my dad about, who was an NFL line coach, about the ability to, to switch from right to left. And he said, look, it's just not a, it's not an easy task for some guys. It's natural for other guys. It's not. And I had heard that, that it, it was a little bit of an issue for him and some of the training and some of the run up, but I think it's looked okay. So, so far. And I think Jedrick Wills is headed definitely in the right direction. I would say Andrew Thomas has his hands full. You look at, I mean, they couldn't run the ball at all against the Steelers. And then this week they got overwhelmed at times by the rush and by the numbers being sent to them. I watched a lot of that game. I think Thomas is going to be fine, but it's going to be tough for him right now. And then Austin Jackson to me is clearly the fifth out of that list. And that, that's to be expected. I thought this year would be a great red shirt year for him, for him to sit back, learn, get stronger, um, tighten up his technique. I think he'll struggle. You know, he's going to struggle with NFL pass rushers and NFL strength in his rookie season, but hopefully this can be a learning season for him. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with uh, basically everything you said. And I, to me, worse has been the most impressive so far. Uh, yeah. What I, what I love so much about him and Iowa was that big man twitch that he has, uh, you know, that initial quickness in his pass sets or his ability to recover, the body control. Uh, I just it really, really impressive so far. It's allowed him to hold up in pass pro. It's allowed him to turn defenders in the run game. Uh, he's really been outstanding. And then to your point with Jedrick Wills, I, this is a guy, he just turned 21 years old. He never played left tackle in his life. Uh, so it's not just at Alabama, in his life. And so that's, that's a big question mark. Uh, and so the Browns, they, they took a little bit of a leap of faith there because I, I think the traits says that he can he can do it he can make that move but until you see it you just don't know um and without having some of those personal workouts uh during the pre-draft process leading up to the draft because of covid you you weren't able to send your offensive line coach to Tuscaloosa or wherever he's working out to put him through some of the uh left tackle workouts you know muscle memory things like that so 
for him to have never played the position before, being so young, uh, just really, really impressive uh, from him. I mean, technically, you can see he's still kind of working through things and, and piecing things together, but uh, I think he's moving well. He's getting proper depth, and I think he's held up well. Um, I think with you know with with Andrew Thomas, I, I think we have to. I think we have to also keep in mind that the two opponents that he's had the first two games, the Steelers with you know T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, and then the Bears with Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn. He, he's definitely had his hands full, and I, I think even though he's had his hiccups, he's he's played well. And uh, I, I think the the maybe the uh, the thing we have to come up with here is all five have really played well in two games, uh, considering they're rookies, considering they've been thrown in the mix uh, from day one. I, I mean, we have to be really impressed. I, I don't. It's hard to pick one because they've all been so impressive. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to track them uh, the rest of the season to see if they can keep this up, to see who is able to uh, continue to progress and get better. But so far, these early results, uh, you have to be optimistic. And there's got to be some kind of kangaroo court fine for Jedrick Wills. How the hell did he get in a commercial already as a rookie <laughs> with Baker Mayfield? Is that just a shout-out to the to the blindside tackle, Baker getting a blindside tackle on his side by throwing him in a commercial? I guess so. I mean, he was a top 10 pick. So, you know, I, but you have to look at progressives marketing department and they, they threw a <laughs> lot of, throw out a, a lot of weight behind Baker, which, you know, is a questionable uh, move, but you know, Hey, it's, it's good to see him. I mean, and, and, and shout out to uh, Jedrick's agent for uh, making that happen as well. So sticking with the NFL, uh, I, you know, we got to hit on DK Metcalf. He, he was such a, a hot topic in the 2019 class when it came to the receiver position because he's just a physical marvel. Um, but there were obviously some question marks about him. And it just, there's a lot of debate, a lot of, it seemed like you had to either really like him or really, uh, you know, be worried about him. It's like you weren't allowed to be in the middle. And there, you know, there's so much nuance uh, and middle ground with a player like this because he's so rare. I mean, you don't see guys that are six three and a half, two hundred and thirty pounds who can go run in the low four threes, uh, who just look the way that he looks, uh, and they're just there's not a lot of precedent for it. Uh, so, uh, and then you throw on throw in there the historically bad three cone, the historically bad short shuttle, uh, some of the injury concerns with him. And next thing you know, he falls to the end of the second round. Seattle gets him there. But talking about going to the right situation, the right place, and a a team that's willing to really focus on, okay, what do you do really well? Okay, well, we're going to put you in that position to go out and do that. And so far, that's what they've done. And he, he's been a really impressive player for Seattle. And you know, I think Russell Wilson has to be pretty glad that uh, he, he fell to that 64th pick. Yeah, I, I think it's a great learning experience. Um, when you take a look at DK Metcalf, you know, I had a very high grade on him. But one of the reasons is because I, I loved what I saw. I loved the potential of what I saw. It was it definitely the polish wasn't there. He ran everything on a vertical plane. You know, it wasn't a route tree. It was a route stick for him, basically, against, Ole, you know, when he was at Ole Miss with A.J. Brown. And, and they had one of the wide receiver slips on mind. But, um, you know, I, I saw what I thought I saw was enough hip bend 
to assume he would be able to learn to run different routes. Now, what we saw at the three cone and short shuttle was something completely different. Now, some of that can be gamed. You can learn to do it better in a training. But there's no question that he went through a lot of training to get ready for the combine. So there was a concern about can he get in and out of breaks. And then last year, I saw him run a break. I saw him run a route where he basically had to, you know, had to shut the feet down, sink, and and turn. And I think it was an out. And it was bad. He looked top heavy and it was like, ugh, that's not good. But then again, when you project these guys, was he big? Yes. Was he fast? Yes. Was he long? Was he strong? Could he leap? I mean, everything was there. Can he make contested catches? Yes. Can he go above the receiver and get the catch? Can he threaten on the all three levels? Well, you knew level one, you knew level three, and level two is really going to be a lot of times about route running unless you're running over routes and speed cuts and things like that. So what I started to think about was, all right, I'm going to trust the player at his best and assume a team that knows how to use him will use him effectively and not ask him to do things he doesn't do, which is shut down, you know, which is, which is to slam on the the brakes and get in and out of brakes underneath. I'm going to assume somebody's not going to ask him to do something he's not good at. And sure enough, the perfect team. And I mean, they're the perfect team. Russell Wilson in Seattle use him perfectly for what his strengths are. Now I saw him run a comeback where, and a lot of times, Dane, you'll see this too. I'm sure you can tell wide receivers are not selling, especially coming out of college. They're either step counting or they're not really selling that vertical as hard as they can because they know they want to break off their route and come back when they have somebody, you know, running phasing a route with them. And what I saw from him yesterday in the same kind of route with Stephon Gilmore is he really gave a lot of aggressive physical first push where he was he was getting vertical hard and then he he slammed on the brakes quickly and opened up. Yeah, and, and I didn't see that. I didn't. I wasn't sure he could do that, but that's something that he obviously has learned through coaching and repetition. So I think the, the big key here is take a guy who has special abilities and look. Yeah. The injuries were a concern. There's no getting around that. But take a guy's physical ability. Don't freak out about what he can't do. We've talked about this before. What can he do? What is he good at? And then assume that a team is going to put him in position to do what he's best at. And that's what Seattle has done. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's why even though I had my concerns uh, with DK Metcalf, no question, but he was still – my top-ranked receiver in that 2019 class, I still thought he was a first-round pick because even though uh, the routes were limited, even though he was more of a straight-line player, uh, the ability was so rare. And you know, you, if you focus on his strengths and what he does well, I thought you had a souped-up version of Ted Ginn. You, you know, he's four inches taller, he's it's much longer, and he's 40 pounds heavier. But you still have the, a similar uh, track-like speed, so there's something there with your ability down the field. Uh, you're and you'd be a lot more physical than a Ted Ginn, obviously. So uh, I, that that was kind of you know I, it's hard to come up with a comparison for a player like this because he's so unique and so different. Uh, but I, I think that it just I don't seeing him fall that far was was shocking. I mean, I I had my concerns. A lot of people had their concerns. How he fell, how teams thought, you know, to, especially in the second round, like, okay, he fell out of the first round. You know what? I, I get it. I understand. Whatever. But, you know, he's going to get scooped up pretty quickly here in the second round. Then he falls all the way to the second. I mean, that, that, is there a good explanation for that, uh, for him to fall that far? 
No, unless it's medical. You know, he he right. had such small, he had such limited body fat. It was such a small, tiny percentage that I did talk to a trainer who said that he was a little concerned that a guy who's that tightly wound, you know, could have some some injury issues and soft tissue issues moving forward unless he was incredibly diligent. But you know, there there was a neck injury. I know there were some right. some injuries that he had that was a concern. But I mean. We're talking about a guy, correct me if I'm wrong, was Andy Isabella drafted ahead of, was he drafted ahead of uh, DK Metcalf? Yeah, he was pick 62. Yeah. He was pick 62. Two picks, two picks ahead of him, right. DK Metcalf went behind Andy Isabella. Now, both of them had the same speed, but one guy was big, long, strong, can be a catch and run guy and can physically intimidate smaller corners. It just doesn't, it just didn't make sense. Then I had a hard time making sense of it. And Daniel Jeremiah tweeted something out. Um, I think it was this morning. I responded to it this morning. He's like, I still don't know how DK Metcalf lasted to the second round, second round. I don't know how he lasted to the end of the second round, the right. very end of the second round. Yeah, uh, it just it, it's hard to understand how that happened because again, you can poke holes in his evaluation. There, there is reason to doubt, but uh, for him to fall as, as far as he did was was really really confusing. You bet on those, especially the uh, the NFL, the way they bet on some of the freakish qualities. Um, now, you know, obviously, receivers a little different because it's a very technically uh proficient position you have to be able to uh you know understand how to run routes and you have to be able to uh you know do certain things with uh with nuance and with with care and detail but at the end of the day if you are a have the size speed profile and you feel like you can coach up the rest i mean that that's that that's something you want to bet on, especially in the second round, especially when you look at some of the names ahead of him, Isabella, who you mentioned. I mean, Paris Campbell was a big time athlete, but you know, he was, there was a lot of questions about Paris Campbell. Could he be a downfield threat? Could he run a full route tree? Uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside, uh, you know, there were questions about his route running and about his speed. So uh, it's not like all the receivers taken ahead of DK Metcalf were these polished players who, uh, you know, you, you didn't have any questions about. So uh, really, really surprising uh, that, it, that it happened. But again, he went to a perfect spot. And this, you know, comes back to the other discussion about the NFL draft in general and how, you know, it's if you fall on draft day, oh, you know, that, that, that sucks. But if you go to the right spot, it, it's better to go uh, 64th than, say, 25th if you're going to uh, the wrong scheme and the wrong offense and, and a team that's not going to, really showcase your skills. So for DK Metcalf falling to the 64th pick, that's that's a blessing in disguise. Uh, not only is he going to hit free agency a year earlier, but he's also going to an offense with a quarterback that uh, fully understands how to use that skill set. Yeah, and usually, and I'll just say this, just kind of a behind the scenes, and Dane knows this too, for a guy that looks like that and runs like that and has that, you know, like I said, that type of body type, the only way those guys typically fall, it's either going to be medical, they're going to pop a positive test, um, or a coach, you know, they're going to have character issues and maybe a coach is beating them up at the school. I don't think a coach is beating him up at the school. I mean, there's no character issues that I had heard of, and I never heard about him popping any kind of positive test behind the scenes. So I, I think it almost has to be some concerns about the medical. Yeah, and, and that might be because, like you said, he – 
Uh, he in his three years at Ole Miss, two ended prematurely due to injury. Uh, he had a, a broken foot. Uh, 2016 and then 2018, uh, it was that uh, the the neck injury, non-spinal, but still neck injuries are something that you, you worry about a little bit. So uh, that certainly could have been the case for several teams, uh, which and, and and just, you know, for for background, you know, when it comes to medicals, it's not like if, it, if a player has a medical question, you don't drop them from like the second round or the fourth round. If a team has a medical question, they're off the board completely. You don't even consider it. And so for several teams, he might not have been been a consideration. He might have been off the board uh, because of of those concerns, and they might not have considered him. Uh, It's something that, you know, we we won't never know for sure how all 32 teams uh, viewed him. But in hindsight, uh, it certainly looks like several teams missed. When it comes time to write our articles about redrafting, you know, oh, time for us to redraft the 2019 draft. Right. I know that one's going to be coming for me at NFL.com at some point over the next two years. Um, he'll be he'll be in the first round for sure. Yeah, I think along with his college teammate AJ Brown, uh, who another second round pick, who's we haven't seen yet this year because he's been uh, banged up, but based on his rookie year, uh, very promising. So. Uh, it's been it's been impressive wide receiver classes the last few years and next year uh 2021 class i think is going to look the same uh but i think that's going to do it for us today on po- uh, prospects the pros uh we'll be back next week uh, you can catch lance zerline at lance zerline on twitter i'm at dp brugler thanks for listening catch you next week